Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. All right, so are you ready? Do I have anybody? I got some bring in here. Okay, I'm just checking because I mean, y'all fired up here a minute ago. Uh, but uh, let me ask you this question, man. Did you bring a Bible with you this morning? Anybody bring a Bible with them? Amen. Hey, you know what? Did you bring a copy like this? Or, or maybe you got that digital copy. Let, let me see those Bibles. Anybody in the house? Let me just see. Okay, this is good. This is good, man. I love it. I love it. Uh, whether you've got a copy that looks like the one I have or maybe a digital copy, a cell phone, a tablet, I don't know what you brought in here with you this morning. I want you to take it and open it to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's right after 2 Timothy chapter 2, in case you were wondering. And uh, it's also after the book of 1 Timothy. And so you, I'm just trying to help any way I can this morning. This passage we're going to be talking about this morning is one of the most powerful passages in the Word of God, about the Word of God, and then the power of the Word of God in our lives. Now, most of us here this morning do have a copy of God's Word of some kind in our hands. And believe it or not, you're welcome to carry that Bible out in public with you when you leave here. Matter of fact, I would highly encourage you to keep a copy with you wherever you go. But something else that may surprise you is that you can walk out of here with a copy of God's Word in your hand, and you won't be persecuted as of today for having that copy of God's Word in your hand. You won't be threatened uh, necessarily. Uh, you can carry this anywhere you want to go. Nobody's going to stop you and swipe the Bible out of your hand and beat you over the head with it unless it's another Baptist, but that's beside the point. Uh, we still live in a country where we have freedom to walk around with the Bible in our hands, but yet you know uh, that my wife and I served in a part of the world as missionaries where you couldn't carry a copy of God's Word around. And there are other places around the world where it is illegal to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. And you could lose your life or lose your freedom forever simply by having a copy of God's Word in your hand. As a matter of fact, I was doing some reading this past week and I came across a story in church history that kind of makes the point. There are people that have paid a big, big price for us being able to have a copy of God's Word in our hand. The great persecution of AD 303 began under the Roman Emperor Diocletian, and Diocletian hated God, and he hated God's church, and he was doing everything he could to destroy both God and the church, and so he knew that the way to do that was to get rid of believers, and he knew the way to do that was destroy, to destroy God's Word. So a part of the great persecution in AD 303 was that thousands of Christians were martyred, and his goal was to exterminate Christians and then to incinerate their Bibles. In those times, you have to understand that the Word of God was, was written, uh, handwritten copies of it were made, meticulously copied. Uh, they were just copied over and over, and, and, and everything was made sure that there were just no mistakes. And it took hours and days and months and months just to make a simple copy of God's Word. Diocletian was, was confiscating Bibles and burning them. And he confiscated every copy he could find throughout the empire, and he burned them until he thought they had all been burned, and then he built a victory column over the ash heap of all the Bibles, and then he put a, a, little, a little sign on top of the monument that said this, the Bible is extinct. 
You see, that's what the emperor thought, but may I ask you a question? Is the Bible extinct? No, because you have a copy of it with you. As a matter of fact, in just 25 years after Diocletian, another Roman emperor by the name of Eusebius commissioned a Bible scholar to prepare 50 copies of God's Word at the government's expense. There were more copies circulating then, 25 years later, than there ever been in the history of the empire. You see, this book that we hold in our hands this morning is a book that people have given their lives for. It's a book that cannot be destroyed. Someone has said that the Word of God, the Bible, is not the book of the month. It's not the book of the year. It's not even the book of the century. This person said that the Bible is the book of the ages. You see, Jesus said that heaven and earth would pass away before even the smallest part of His Word would pass away. So what I want to do today is is I want to talk to you about what God can do in your life with a Bible in your hand. So I wonder if you would do this with me. Would you stand with me as we read just a portion of today's text in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And again, I have you stand simply because we're going to honor the public reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, it will be on the screen behind me. The Bible says, But you, however, continue in the things you have learned And become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. May God bless the reading of His Word and you may be seated. You see, 2 Timothy is an intentionally personal letter from Paul to his protege, Timothy. There are 23 proper names in this book. It's a book written from an old man to a young man, from an old minister near the end of his ministry to a young minister near the beginning of his ministry. From a runner who has almost finished his race to yet another runner who was right at the start of his race. And here's what Paul basically writes to Timothy. He tells him, in my paraphrase, Timothy, don't let go of this book. Don't let go of the Word of God. Keep the Bible, Timothy, in your hand. The Word of God says the same thing to us today, and I'm telling you today, I'm admonishing you as Paul would, Timothy, please, whatever you do, Don't let go of this Bible. Keep this book in your hand. And I want us to look at this passage of Scripture today. And I want to talk to you about three things that you can experience in your life with the Bible in your hand. Here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning. With the Bible in our hands, we will be able to face perilous times. With the Bible in our hands, we'll be able to face perilous times. Now look back up in verses one through four in the text. The Bible says this, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. As if Paul was reading the morning paper from 2023, December 31st. This is almost like it's verbatim. Watch. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, 
disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He's trying to tell Timothy that in the last days, difficult days will come, perilous times will come. Paul said to Timothy, he said, mark this down, Timothy, don't miss this, don't forget this, that in the last days, and those are the days as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, he says, in those last days, the world is not going to become better and better and better. That's not what's going to happen. This world is not going to get better. Matter of fact, this world is going to get worse, and there are perilous times of difficulty. He says there, in the latter days, difficult times will come. That word literally means fierce. He says that fierce days will come. Literally, the word there for fierce is the same word that Matthew's gospel used to describe men who were possessed by demons. They were fierce men. They were called fierce demon-possessed men. Fierce times are coming. And I want you to know that the fierce times that are here and that are coming will not be due to the economy. It will not be due to the problems in government. It will not be due to the elections, whatever happens in 2024. It will not be whatever's going on in world wars. The problems won't come as a result of health care. The problems are going to come because of what sinful people are in their hearts. They're ungodly. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2. He says that these times of difficulty will come because people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, or revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, or unloving, unappeasable, or irreconcilable, slanderous, or malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, or haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There are 18 things that the Bible lists. And it's just this huge laundry list of just a few things that dwell within man's heart. Now, would you agree that this list describes the world we're living in pretty well? Of anybody who would say, man, that's it. I mean, I couldn't describe it better myself. Well, see, the Bible says that it's going to become more and more intense the closer and closer we get to the return of Christ. But I want you to notice something as we move now into verse 5. The culmination of this list, after all these things, after this laundry list of sin, of pride and arrogance, of abuse and disobedience, ungratefulness and holiness, all those things, at the end of it, Paul says in verse 5 this, he says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. He says that these same people who are so unholy and so disobedient and so slanderous and mistreating one another in all kinds of ways, these same people will have the appearance or the form of godliness. Here's what happens. Here's what happens at least in a church. Here's what happens to a people who call themselves Christians. If you and I get one inch away from the Word of God, we may still have the appearance of godliness on the outside. We may still look pretty shiny and pretty nice on the outside, yet on the inside, 
If we get away from the word of God, there's rottenness and all kinds of ungodliness that still exist and are yet still being sanctified hearts. And why is this? Paul makes the contextual conclusion that it's all because we have gotten away from the word of God. See, the passenger ship, the Queen Mary, was launched in 1936, and it was the largest ship to cross the ocean at the time. It had been in service for four decades, and it was retired from service and docked in Long Beach, California, where it became a floating hotel and a museum. And the Queen Mary had three huge smokestacks on it. And it was, when it was taken to dock, they decided to, to take down those smokestacks and to put them into the dock to scrape away the old paint and to repaint the smokestacks. As they began to scrape away the paint on the smokestacks, here's what they discovered. Underneath the paint, there was simply nothing there. At one point in time, there had been three-quarter inch steel that made up each of those smokestacks, but over the years, they had painted coat after coat after coat of paint. As a matter of fact, they had put 30 coats of paint on these smokestacks. They were very glossy on the outside, but there was simply nothing on the inside. When they scraped away all the paint, there was simply nothing there. And here's what the Bible says. As we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, and I believe we're there now, People are going to have an appearance or the form of godliness. Listen, these people aren't atheists. These people aren't pagans. These are not people who would call themselves theological liberals who walk away from the truths of the faith. These are people who would affirm with their lips the major doctrines of the Bible that you and I believe. But they have a form of godliness but no power. Why? Because contextually, Paul says, they have walked away from the Word of God. Listen, that can happen in a church. But it can also, it can also happen in churches like ours. You see, without the Bible, the church can have the gloss and the beauty of an impressive and wonderful service. They can have wonderful music. They can have mesmerizing speakers who tell emotional stories. They can have great social programs. They can be institutions where we experience impressive growth. There can be a form of godliness, but no power if we leave behind the Word of God. That's why I'm telling you, we've said it all through the year of 2023, that we're going to stand on the Word of God in this church. We're going to take a stand on it, and we're going to stand in it, and we're not going to take a half a step away from it because we are facing perilous times, and we need the Word of God. Now, that's true for a church, but can I tell you something? It's also true for you. You're going to face perilous times, and you can't afford in your family, you can't afford in your marriage, you can't afford in your life to take one single inch of a step away from the Word of God and to not have a Bible in your hand every single day. This is what I'm asking you this morning. I'm asking you to make a commitment with me. I'm asking you to say before God and before your, your, your life right now, this morning in this place, I'm asking you to make a commitment that for every single day in 2024, I'm going to have a Bible in my hand. Every single day in 2024, I'm going to have a Bible in my hand. Would you commit this morning? Would you allow the Spirit of God to bring you to a place of commitment where you're going to say, I will do whatever it takes to have a Bible in my hand in 2024? Because listen, you think things were bad in 2019 and 2021 and 22? You wait till what happens this year. I believe all Hades is going to break loose. 
and we had better be ready. And you're not going to be able to face the perilous times that are coming unless you have a book in your hands. The Bible was written, and it says in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a what? Light into my path. If you want to have something to help you face the perilous times that are coming, you're going to have to have a light on because it's going to get dark in 2024, and you're going to need to have this Bible in your hand. Will you commit this year to have a Bible in your hand in 2024? Because with a Bible in our hands, we would have faced perilous times. But secondly, with a Bible in our hands, we'll be able to follow perfect truth. We'll be able to follow perfect truth. Let's skip down for the sake of time to verse 14 and verse 15. The Bible says these words, you who, however, he's talking to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ. Notice what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue. I love those words. He says, Timothy, all kinds of ungodliness is all around you. There are all kinds of people who are departing from the word of God and going in the wrong direction. But as for you, Timothy, you, you continue. Continue in what? This is continuing the things that you have learned. Continue in the scriptures. Tells Timothy to continue. That word means to remain. He says, Timothy, I want you to remain in what you have learned. I want you to continue in what you have firmly believed. And I want you to do so because you know from whom you've learned it. From Timothy's childhood, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice had taught him the word of God. The Holy Scriptures. And Paul says that those Scriptures, the Bible, is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So we ask a theological question. Does the Bible save us? The answer is no. The Bible does not save us. In other words, what I mean is, if I give this Bible to somebody, do they automatically become saved upon re receiving this Bible? No. I wish it was that easy. But the Bible does not save us, but only through the Bible can we know how to be saved. There's a whole movement going on right now with some very influential people whom I will not name who are saying that you can kind of just push the Bible aside. We no longer really need the Old Testament and really kind of we don't need the New Testament. All we really need is Jesus. And they say, all we can do, if we just talk about Jesus, he's the only one we need to talk about. Well, let me, let me give you a newsflash. You and I cannot talk about Jesus without talking about the Bible. The Bible doesn't save us, but the Bible is able to make us wise for salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ. Only the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. Only the Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Only the Bible tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, if, if salvation is a house at the end of a long, long road, the Bible is the road that takes you to salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, with, with a Bible in our hands, we'll be able to follow that perfect truth. But notice what the Bible says. Please notice the, the, the tenses that are here. You see, it's not enough for you and I to firmly believe the Holy Scriptures. 
Both of those are in the past tense and know what you have believed. In verse 14, he says, you have learned and you have firmly believed. But, but here, let me tell you the present tense command. It's continue. You see, not judgmentally, just, just in a spirit of admonition, for some people in this room, a Bible is a book that you used to read, but you don't read it anymore. For some people in this room, the Bible is a book that you spent some time in, but you haven't spent time in it in a long time. See, beloved, listen, when you get just one inch away from this book, your life begins to go in the wrong direction because you're no longer following perfect truth. I want you to think with me about the importance of orientating your life on God's truth and God's word. You've probably heard something similar, but maybe not as in-depth. If you're going somewhere and you're off course by just one degree, if I'm going somewhere and I'm off just by one degree, after one foot, I'll be off by 0.2 inches. Well, one foot, 0.2 inches, not really that big of a deal. But, but what about as you get further out? After a mile, if I'm one degree off, at the end, I'll be 92.2 feet off. If I'm off one degree, just in any way, it starts to make a difference. If I'm trying to get from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and I'm off by one degree, I'll end up on the other side of Baltimore, 42.6 miles off. If I'm traveling around the globe, starting in, in D.C., and traveling all the way around the globe back to D.C., if I'm off by one degree, I'll miss D.C. by 435 miles and end up on the other side of Boston. If I'm on a rocket going to the moon and I'm one degree off, I'll wind up being 4,169 miles off, nearly twice the diameter of the moon. I'd miss the moon altogether. That's just one degree. And here's the truth. You get one degree off the word of God and the further and further you go, being one degree off will be the further and further away from God you end up. And beloved, I'm telling you, can you give me just one degree of commitment in 2024? Can you just say every day in 2024, I want to follow perfect truth because if I don't, I will end up in 2024 way in a different place than where I thought I would have been. You see, the truth of the matter is, friends, we have no excuse. We've got more resources now than we've ever had in history to keep us into the Word of God. Never before in history has there ever been more ways to spend time in God's Word. We've got multiple Bibles. Let me just ask this question. How many of you in this place today have more than one Bible in your home or on your person? There would have been a time when one family among all the members in that family might have had a copy of one part of the Bible in their hands. We have resources. We can go to the internet. You can listen to the Bible. You can listen to Bible teaching. You can get it on radio. You can listen to it on a podcast. You can go to YouTube and have it read to you. There's apps that'll read it to you every single day. There are reading plans galore everywhere you turn. You can even turn it on TV and find somebody to read it to you. We've got all kinds of teaching from all kinds of sources. And I know that what most men in the room will say, I'm just not a reader. Well, that doesn't fly with me because you can have it read to you. 
The problem is we just don't want to be in the Bible. And I'm trying today to tell you that if you want to follow perfect truth and you don't want to be any degrees off in your life and where God has you, you've got to have a Bible in your hand. There's simply no excuses. I have no excuse in my life not to have a Bible in my hand in 2024. So I want to ask you, are you continuing in the Word of God? Not did you just learn it, but are you continuing in it? You see, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. It's the perfect truth we follow. And in 2024, as this country and as this world gets more and more secular and away from the things of God, you're going to be wondering, what truth can I really follow? And I'm telling you, it's right here. And you would have it in your hand every single day. So will you? As you face those perilous times and as you're looking to follow perfect truth, will you make a commitment today to be in the Bible in 2024? Will you carry this book in your hand every single day? Here's the third thing that I want to share with you quickly as we close. With the Bible in our hands, we can face perilous times. We can follow perfect truth. And with the Bible in our hands, we're able to find precious treasure. We're able to find precious treasure. See, the Bible that we hold in our hands is a precious treasure because it comes from God himself. Notice what the Bible says in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn your eyes there. He says, all scripture, all graphos. You have a graphite pen. It's a writing instrument. All graphos, all the writings is inspired. Theopneustos, theos, you know, is the word for God. Noopstos, pneuma, an aromatic mattress means of the wind. This is of the spirit. It's been breathed out by the wind, the breath of God, and it's profitable, useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see, Contrary to what the world may teach you, the Bible is not a collection of human thoughts. This book that I have here and you have in your hands is not man's best words about God or the attempts to form a religion. This book is God's words speaking to men and women. There are many writers who contributed to the Bible, but there's only one divine author. And that's why the Word of God says that all Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is breathed out by God. It's His very words that were written by man, but they were breathed out by God. And while the purpose of my message today is not to talk to you about how we got our Bible, let me parenthetically just state this, that the 66 books that you have in your Bible were, were recognized as the authoritative Word of God very, very early in Christian history. And most of them were put together within the Word of God by the end of the first century within the lifetime of the Apostle John. So if the Apostle John, who was one of the apostles, saw that anything that was in there shouldn't be or anything that wasn't there should be, he would have said something. I'm telling you today, I don't have time to explain this, and you can talk to him about this in greater detail afterwards, but I'm telling you, what I know about church history and the way that I know about the Bible, I've spent most of my education, over 20 years of education studying this book, I can tell you that there are no books left out of the Bible that should be in here, and there are no books allowed in that shouldn't be. We have all we need. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. We have all that we need to have. This is the book, and the Bible says that this has been God-breathed. Look at it again. The Scripture is breathed out by God, and the Scripture says because God's breathed it, it's profitable. That word profitable means useful. 
the words of the Bible are useful. What's it useful for? Well, thank you, Paul. He tells you, first of all, he says that it's profitable for teaching. That's the doctrinal truths of Scripture. In summary, the Bible teaches the truth about God's character and God's plans and, and God's purposes for us and how we can be saved. It's useful for teaching, but it's also useful for reproof. That means that the Bible points out our sin and confronts our false thinking. That's one of the reasons the biblical truth is so offensive to us, because it cuts us the wrong way. We don't like to be rebuked in our sin. We don't like to be told of our errors, but we really need it. Just like a surgeon sometimes has to cut out things so that we can heal, the Word of God has to cut out things so that we can heal. But it's profitable, it's useful for the right teaching, for reproof. But then he says it's also useful for correction. In other words, the Bible goes beyond just telling us what's wrong. It tells us how to make it right. It shows us how to get things right, how to correct things that are out of line with the Word of God. So not only does it tell us what we really need to believe, it tells us when we're not really doing right, then it shows us how to get it right. But then the Bible also tells us that it is profitable for training in righteousness. In other words, I could have this, screen, this come up on the screen. The Bible tells us some things. The Bible tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. The Bible tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Well, that's, that's awesome. Well, then what would be the purpose of that? Well, Paul answers it in verse 17. He says, so that, that's the reason, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible will equip you to do everything that God asks you to do. So everything that I need to get through this life pertaining to faith and godliness is written inside this book. So I want you to know that there's a precious treasure that we'll find in this book. Last month, I had a situation I was dealing with. And I was asking the Lord what I should do. And I was reading, and I came across this verse in Psalm 19, verse 11. This treasure said this. It said, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Let me read that to you again. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You see, in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and reminded me that it would be to my glory and my benefit to overlook the offense that I was dealing with. So I called this person up and I asked, could we get together? And I was able to continue pursuing that relationship because of that verse. And because of the word of God in that verse, I was able to see some great things happen in that relationship because I was able to overlook that offense. And it's opened up possibilities with this person and other family members that, that kind of were involved in that. It's impacted me and my family tremendously. I want you to know that with a Bible in your hand, you too can find precious treasure that can change your life. See, the Bible says in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14, the Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord, they are true, are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yet much than fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, do you see the precious treasure that's in this book? Oh, my friends, with a Bible in your hands, you'll be able to find that precious treasure. Don't you want that in 2024? Don't you want that to just jump off the pages and into your heart? Will you commit to having a Bible in your hands every day in 2024? Because with a Bible in our hands, we can face perilous times. With a Bible in our hands, we can follow perfect truth. And with a Bible in our hands, we can face, uh, we can find precious treasure. I don't know if any of you know, but Billy Graham had a wife, and her name was Ruth. And she carried the memory of something that happened to her when she was a young teenager. You see, when Ruth was 13, her father, who was a medical missionary, he was a surgeon in China, they were boarding her up to send her to a boarding school in what was then part of North Korea. And it was far, far away and, and, and from where she was in China. And so for Ruth, even thinking about leaving home and going to that school was very brutal for her. The night before she was supposed to leave to this boarding school, she stayed up all night long and she prayed that God would end her life. She woke up the next morning and she said, Lord, please let me die before I get out of the house. Her prayers were answered. She grabbed her bags and she trudged toward the riverfront. She was saying goodbye to nearly everything that she loved, goodbye to her parents, goodbye to the Chinese friends she'd made, goodbye to her home, goodbye to all of her memories. And she got on a boat on the Nagasaki Maru, which carried her down the Wingpu River onto the Yangtze and out to the East China Sea. A week later, wave after wave of homesickness just pounded on her heart, and she kept busy during the day, but the night times were brutal. She would bury her head in her pillow and she would cry herself to sleep at night and she would just go on like this week after week and her homesickness even put her in the school's hospital. She went to her sister, Rosa, who was also enrolled at the school and told her what was going on and Rosa said, I don't know what to tell you to do. I don't know what to tell you to do, but just to take a verse of scripture and put your name in that verse. So Ruth went home and she opened her Bible to a passage, one of her favorites in Isaiah 53. And there she found her favorite verse and she put her name in it and it read like this. Jesus was wounded and crushed because of Ruth's sin by taking Ruth's punishment. And by Jesus' stripes, he made Ruth completely well. When Ruth simply put her name into that verse, God began to work in her heart, and it caused her heart to leap in that moment, and the healing began. And here's what she did. Listen to me. Here's what she did. She took the Bible, and she had it in her hand. And then she began to get that Bible into her mind. And from it being in her hand, it got into her mind. And then from her mind, it finally got into her heart. Let me tell you something, friends. If you want the Bible to get into your heart, you first got to start with it in your hand. If you want God to begin to do something in your life, you've got to get this book into your hand so it can get into your head so that it can get into your heart.
See, when it's in your hand, it can flow into your mind, into your heart, and then right back out of your heart. And when it's in your heart, Psalm 119, verses 10 through 13, or what happens? With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have told all the ordinances of your mouth. You see, I love the idea of putting your name in a part of the Bible and letting God speak to you and your life through his word. I'm thankful that somebody one day took Romans 10, 13 and put my name in it. The Bible says this, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so thankful somebody put my name in that verse that said, hey, listen, Steve, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, Steve shall be saved. I'm thankful for Psalm 23, aren't you? Praise God. I'm thankful that I can put my name in there, that the Lord is Steve's shepherd and Steve shall not want. And the Lord will leave Steve to green water and power green pastures and still waters. I'm so thankful that I can put my name in those verses. Let one of you try it. Romans 5, 8 will come up here on the screen. Now, I want you just to simply put your name there when it refers to a hit, you or your or something like this. Just put your name and I'll give you an example. But God demonstrates his own love towards Steve and that while Steve was yet a sinner, Christ died for Steve. How about you try that with me? Let's do that together. But God demonstrates his own love towards Steve and that while Steve was yet sinning, Christ died for Steve. You see, some of you are here today And I believe that God would really bless you if you were just to be able to take and put your head on the pillow tonight because you just got one verse because you had a Bible in your hand. And you begin to think about that verse and you started putting your name in it. And then God made that come alive in your heart. And you were to sleep like a baby because something drastically happens when we have a Bible in our hands. Will you commit in 2024? to having a Bible in your hands. And let me tell you, here's what I'm doing this year. I want you to pull up this website. I'm going to put this website up on. This is live. This is a website. I have it right here. If you want to see this afterwards, if you want to go up to Elizabeth and ask her what this is, it's ligonier.org forward slash post forward slash Bible reading plans. They're all over the place. This is just one website that has 10 or 20 on it. I've got one on there, and I'm just telling you, this is mine. I printed it off. This is what I'm doing. I take this piece of paper and I fold it up and I put it in the back of my Bible. And then guess what? Tomorrow morning, it'll say January 1. I'm reading Genesis 1 and 2 and Matthew 1. You can count on it. That's what's going to shake down in 2024. That's exact. This is the plan. If I miss a day, I just go back and read two days. If I miss a week, I go back and read that entire week. I make it up. But when 2024, I finished the book of Revelation this morning. I read Revelation 22 this morning. I finished the Bible in a year because that's been my habit for the past 20-some years. I'm just trying to tell you guys, you can do this. It's simple. It'll take you less than 15 minutes a day. It's three chapters of the Bible a day. You can find a plan to read the New Testament there in a year. All you've got to do is read one chapter five days a week. You get two days off, but you're making a commitment to be in it every day, so you might actually get it through a time and a half. If you just read three chapters a day for five days, you'll read through the entire Old Testament. You can find a plan that I just want to read through the Psalms. I don't care what you do. There's 150 of those bad boys. So just read through the Psalms twice. I don't really care. Just get a Bible in your hand and get a plan. 
That's all you got to do. And listen, there will be days that you don't keep the commitment, and that's okay because God looks at the intent of your heart. And listen to me, if you don't have a plan, you're probably not going to do it. Will you commit using a plan? This is my plan. I used to do the McShane reading plan. It reads from the Old Testament, a, a psalm and a proverb in the New Testament. Last year, I read through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once. I've used all kinds of plans, the chronological plan to read the Bible as events taking place. I really don't know, but here's my question this morning. Are you ready to make that kind of commitment? Will you have a Bible in your hand in 2024? If you need to talk about more plans, if you want to see that website, if you just need to find out more about that, I just found out Friday that Crossway has put the ESV out on an app and they have like six different people reading the Bible to you from the ESV version next year. They've, they've had six different people read through the Bible. All you've got to do is push play. And then, if you're just really wanting to get through it, you can increase the speed. So you're saying, man, I ain't got 15 minutes. Well, back that Bible up to time seven and do it in five. I don't care. Just get in the book. Because if you get in the book, the book will get in you. And when the book gets in you, it's going to get out to them. So I wonder as our team comes this morning, and as God may have been speaking to your heart, I wonder this morning, do you really know the Lord Jesus? I'd be the primary concern of my heart this morning. Because it would make whole lot of sense that today if you've heard that man, we're all sinners separated from God, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for our sin, that he was buried, raised again to forgiveness of our sin. If you never trusted in Jesus to forgive you, today is a great day to do that. I'll have some men and women and myself. I'll be down here in just a moment. You can come and we can just pray together. Or maybe you want to come to this altar. or Maybe you want to make an altar right there in your chair and you just want to say, Lord, I'm committing to you. Listen, listen. I mean this. If you just said, I'm going to read a sentence in the Word of God every day next year, that is a step in the right direction. For some of you may say, I'm just going to read a word, <laughs> one single word. It is better than nothing. Make this doable for yourself. But maybe you want to make that commitment. Maybe you just want to come and pray about that. Maybe there's other things you need to pray about. But I don't really know. We'll be here to receive you. I wonder right now, would you stand and let me pray? And as I pray, we're going to begin to sing. And you respond as the Lord would lead you. Lord God, you've always wanted to reveal yourself to us. Just by us getting into your word. There's just so many good things in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak, Lord, and that we would be drawn with passion back to your book in 2024. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today that, Lord, just really wrestling with your calling them to salvation, in these moments, Lord, your grace would be greater. And I pray it in Jesus' name.